Hello everyone and welcome to episode 9 of the Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brading and I'm here with Sophos experts Paul Ducklin. Hello folks. And Mark Stockley. Hi. Matt's away this week so it's just the three of us today. How's it going guys? What have you been up to this week? My story is rather dull, so I'm going to let Mark go first. If I go first, that doesn't make your story less dull, just to be clear. No, but I, while you're In talking, comparison. I might think of something better. Okay. <laughs> it won't make me look so uh, sad. So I'm, I'm going to talk about uh, my Raspberry Pi. And I read an article this week by Scott Helm all about Pi Hole, which is a DNS sinkhole, which is a, an alternative way of dealing with online ads. Instead of using an ad blocker, you install this uh, sinkhole in your local network and it intercepts DNS requests for about 130,000 different uh, domains that are used for ads, basically. And presumably, if you decide you do want them, you can add an exception list at your end. Yes. So, my pie has a use. Oh, Excellent. exciting. Well, will have a use. Obviously, I haven't done it. No. Because, you know, running and configuring DNS servers correctly is trivial. Nothing could possibly go wrong. So, I'm looking forward to hearing your uh, interesting story now. <laughs> Yeah, yours is better. I, mine is really, really simple, but I loved it because uh, I just I had a surplus to requirements Mac at home that I thought I could either upgrade to Mojave or I could put Slackware on it. So I put Slackware on it, and with a Retina display, it's quite nice. It's still so Slackware. It boots in seconds and uh, runs like lightning. Slackware was the first Linux I ever installed, and I installed it on a 386. I was so chuffed to have succeeded in installing this weird thing on this computer, which until that moment had only ever been the Windows computer when I was growing up. And it's all been downhill from there, said the PHP programmer. Right. Just, hang on, describing <laughs> me as a PHP programmer, which I am, in part... There's so much like, more to him. It's a bit like me describing you as a chair sitter. Okay, you can sit on a chair, but just because I can see that you can sit on a chair, it's not right that I assume that all you do is sit on chairs. He is well, sitting kind right of now. Because I do quite a lot of chair sitting and, and <laughs> very little PHP, and very little PHP yeah. programming. So you have one up on me there. Let's talk this week's security news. Dark, you've written a story about deleted photos on iPhones not being as deleted as someone might have thought, as in not really deleted at all. What's the story there? Well, two hackers figured out a way that they could use, as I understand it, an iOS browser bug to go rootling around in a part of the iPhone where they're not supposed to be. And indeed, not only could they recover stuff, they were actually able to recover a photo that had been deleted from iPhotos. And they got $50,000 for the privilege. So it made quite an intriguing story, not just that they could get some kind of remote execution control with the browser, but what they were able to retrieve as a result was a file that you would have sworn was no longer there. And so do people need to worry about that? Or do- the good news is... It seems that they don't because it turns out there's even more to the story than that. Uh, These guys are actually taking part in this year's mobile pwn-to-own competition, which happened this week in Tokyo. And this was only one of several attacks that they did. And as far as we know, they're the very first people to find out about it. And part of pwn-to-own the competition, you have to prove that you can hack a device. But in order to get your prize, basically you hand over all the details to the organisers of the competition, and then it's provided to the vendor, and the vendor gets the chance to fix it. And so what is Pwn2O, for those people that don't know? It's competitive hacking, if you like. 
So you can think of it as it's sort of like the Olympic Games of for the Hacksaw community. Unlike the Olympic Games, it happens every six months, not every two years. But like the like the Olympic Games, which alternates between winter and summer sports, it alternates between desktop apps and mobile apps. And the idea is you come with a current, a recent mobile phone, current mobile phone, up to date, and you have to demonstrate certain sorts of exploit. So it's it's quite a hard challenge. You have to be well prepared. You have to have a well documented exploit. So it's a way of that when you hand over the bug report to the vendor, they really have something useful to go on that lets them close the hole. And then you get a 30 minute window to show that not just that you've found that the program might crash a bit, but there are actually deeper problems that maybe allow you to chain attacks together and do something nefarious. For example, retrieve data you're not supposed to, uh, install software that the user had no choice over, all of that sort of stuff. So it's basically competitive bug finding with a reward for the bug finders and responsible disclosure for the vendors. The thing I like about Pwn to Own is I think it in the some name. ways, <laughs> yeah, I don't quite like the name, but in some ways, I think it shows um, some of the unsung success within computer security. So, you know, go back 15 years and finding uh, exploits and bugs in browsers, you know, if you found a, a bug in a browser, it just meant it was Wednesday. But now <laughs> finding a, you know, finding a bug in Chrome is big news, like a, a, yeah. a, a remote exploit. It's big news. And it's, you know, people will, will store them up for these pwn to own competitions and they'll earn huge amounts of money for finding it. And, you know, everybody, Naked Security and all the other news websites will write about it because it's, it's, it's a big story and it's, it's a quite sort of glitzy and show busy, isn't it? One possible criticism of an approach like pwn to own over just a straight bug bounty. In general, you don't spend all this extra time trying to weaponize, as they say, the bug. You just figure it probably could be used. Let's assume it can. Let's fix it anyway and move along. It can incentivize people to hold on to bugs yeah. that, that they know about because, you know, there'll be another pwn to yeah. own in six months time. That there's, there's a, a built in incentive for you to sit on what you know and hold on to it until you can make some money from it. But I think one of the things that IT is, has been quite poor with historically is kind of understanding that that this is actually all about people. You know, IT is about computers being used by people. You can't overlook the fact that people need that kind of thing. We've all got this desire for entertainment. Some programmers have got their own desire for kudos and fame. And this is a way of satisfying that and tickling that. And if you didn't have the competition, there are some people perhaps who wouldn't disclose that information at all or would go and sell it on, the, on an underground market exactly. or something like this. Or would just go, hey, full disclosure is cool. I'll just tell everybody. And then the crooks are in yeah. while everyone else is trying to scramble to catch up. Yeah. Okay, and now on to our next subject. Sophos Labs has released its 2019 threat report. Mark, you've been reading it. Telling, tell us why everyone else should. Um, I'm going to give you three reasons why you should read it. Okay. Um, the first one is there's some interesting stuff in there about Android malware. So obviously, Sophos Labs takes a good look at Android malware. There, there are sort of two parts to the Android world. There's the stuff that you get through Google Play, and then there's the stuff that's not on Google Play. And if you're prepared to install things on your Android phone that didn't come through the, the Google Play walled garden, then it's not difficult to get malware on your phone. It is much more difficult to get malware on your phone if you stick to Google Play, which is why that's a very good idea. But, but it's, it's by no means enough, right? No, it's not perfect. And that's, that's, that's the first interesting thing in the report is that it goes into some of the techniques that the people who have succeeded in getting malware onto Google Play have used. Right. 
Um, so is it like you, you, you practice in the open market where you just upload your malware and then once you've got used to <laughs> malware, then you think, right, now I'll game Google Play and I'll get it by more sophisticated malware published with the imprimatur of Google itself. More of a challenge. It, well, yes, exactly that. So it's, it's a step up. <laughs> yeah. You've, you've graduated. Career to, path. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Malware University. One for your LinkedIn. <laughs> um, so that, cause obviously it, you know, so that's all about how do, how do the crooks get around the fact that if they put malicious code in there, Google's going to find it. So, so how do they create apps that don't actually have malicious code in them? How do they go and get the malicious code, uh, later on? So that's reason number one. Reason number two is, uh, there's a lot on targeted ransomware, which is the big trend in ransomware this year. We've written about this uh, quite a lot. Software Labs wrote an extensive report about SamSam targeted ransomware earlier this year. Targeted ransomware is about people breaking into your network and essentially making themselves unofficial sysadmins on your network and then treating the ransomware just like a sysadmin would treat any other application using uh, it's it, using techniques that they call living off the land, which is essentially using tools that either are already there or that are, would not be unusual if you found them there. So systems administration tools, things like PowerShell, uh, PSExec, things like that, which allow you to deploy ransomware throughout a network in exactly the same way as a systems administrator would. Just to be clear, it's targeted in as much as the crooks have a list of victims that they think they can deal with because of some security loopholes and then they pick them off one by one so it's not a question of oh well i'm not in aerospace so i can stand down from blue alert it is an attacker specifically targeting an organization and saying i am going to attack that organization i'm going to break in i'm going to put ransomware on as many computers as i can and then i'm going to charge them an extortionate ransom so it's nothing about oh well you're more likely to get hit if you're in aerospace than if you're a bakery no no because nothing to do with that at all so it's it is about somebody specifically targeting you, but if you're being specifically targeted, it's because you're vulnerable to that kind of attack. Right. It's targeting in the way that, you know, a lion chasing a herd of something is going to target, you know, the, the sick and the, the young. at the back. Loads in the report about targeted ransomware and living off the land. So go and read it for that reason. So the final thing I wanted to talk about is there's a section in the threat report by Chet Wisniewski, and he talks about the fact that it's not all doom and gloom in cybersecurity. And he just does a bit of a retrospective looking back at the success that we've had over the last few years introducing encryption onto the internet uh, and onto the World Wide Web. It's easy to see only the negative, isn't it? So if you think it's all doom and gloom and you're fed up with reading bad news computer security stories, thumb your way through the threat report. About two-thirds of the way through, there's a little bit by Chet... Blue background uh, is the thing to look for. White text on a blue background. <laughs> look for the white text on the blue background and cheer yourself up with a yes. little bit of cybersecurity Aww. success. Huzzah, as I believe they say. I don't know who they are. Who says that? What, the 18th century? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Duck, someone's managed to put the complete works of William Shakespeare on Twitter. I thought we were limited to 280 characters. Is this one of those really annoying Twitter threads? No. What he did was he, he knew that Twitter does all this careful filtering of images. Images can contain what's called metadata, and the most common sort of metadata you get are things like your latitude and longitude, the f-stop you use, the shutter speed, all of that stuff. Quite handy to have, but you generally don't want that in every image. So Twitter strips that out. Turns out what it doesn't strip out is metadata called the image color profile. 
it's not part of the image pixels, but it's kind of advice to the image displaying program of how to treat the colors. And generally, you either need none or very little color profile information. But it turns out Twitter don't mind if you have an awful lot. And this guy was able to take an 8 meg HTML file, the Project Gutenberg Complete Works of Shakespeare.html, uh, squash it down with an archive to 2 meg, split it up into 64k chunks, which is the maximum size of one color profile data object. So you had this 10 kilobyte image with 2 megabytes of compressed data jammed inside it. And according to Twitter, it's not a bug, it's a feature. It keeps the image profile because it might need it. And so you're right, he found out a way to put the complete works of Shakespeare in a single tweet. Although you do have to jump through some hoops to get it out. So Twitter are okay with this? They're going to let this one fly? I guess they're figuring there's no risk, right? Could you distribute malware with it? Well, if you want to hide malware online, there are plenty of places where you can put it where it's not a direct threat. In other words, if you had malware in there, you'd have to download the tweet, unpack the... In other words, you'd need malware to deliver the malware, so it would be a sort of poor choice of vehicle. And in fact, where we've seen Twitter used in malware in the past, crooks have used it for what's called command and control. So the malware regularly looks at a Twitter feed, and they just put up tweets that have commands in. Which, and then you need to be one night, like start space spamming or delete space all space files. So generally where we've seen Twitter abused by malware, it's as a control channel. My gut feeling is that in a while, if you try this, you'll find that image profile size is greatly curtailed. If only because if everybody starts doing this, Twitter's data usage will not match what it planned. Because 64 by 64 pixel images, they should be about 10 kilobytes, not 2 megabytes. So I've got to say, you did a very good job of skipping over the gory details there about how this was actually done. But if anybody wants to read the nuts and bolts of, of how this was pulled off, Duck's written an absolute tour de force on Naked Security. So just go to Naked Security and look for one of the latest art, uh, articles, look for steganography, and you will find uh, a lengthy and informative article about exactly how this fellow snuck all of that Shakespeare into a tweet. And to be fair, his name is David Buchanan, and you can get the image from his tweet, which we've embedded in the article, the little tiny image. And it's quite fun to extract it. If you've got Linux or a Mac, it's really easy. If you've got Windows, you might need to download a couple of third-party tools. It's quite fun to see how one can take data, slice and dice it with freely available tools, sort of living off the land that you were mentioning earlier, and uh, achieve surprising results, like all of Shakespeare in a single tweet. And you've, you've reminded me of something as well. While we're giving credit where credit is due, uh, we perhaps we can just talk about Pondini for a couple of minutes. Oh, yes. Those of you who listened to last week's podcast will know that, we, that Mark was talking about the warmth he felt for a chap who went by the name of Pondini, who uh, helped the community by publishing everything you'd ever need to know about Apple Time Machine and Time Capsule and Apple backup problems until about 2013. You know, then he stopped doing it. And I made a joke about how he went on vacation and we all laughed. I actually found out that the reason he stopped contributing to the community is actually passed away. His name was James Pond. If you search for Pondini website in your favorite search engine, you, you can go to the website of the place that handle his funeral, where there are some excellent tributes from people whom he helped. And it's a great indication of just how much somebody who puts open source effort, puts community effort 
to help people, how, how warmly that is received. Apologise if I offended anybody from the Pond family by sort of laughing that he'd given up. He didn't intend to stop. And just for anybody who's unaware about his contribution, uh, Time Machine's great, but it's not without its problems, not without its glitches. It's, there's quite often something that you need to work around. And for years and years and years, it was the case that no matter what happened... And no matter what your time machine backup did, no matter what curveballs it threw at you, if you looked for the whatever circumstances, whatever error message you um, was thrown at you, if you looked for it, you would end up on this uh, Pondini's website and he would have the answer for you. He yeah. was far more than Apple. His website was the place that you, you just ended up to solve time machine backup. So it's and the a great thing looking niche contribution. It's a great example of something that doesn't seem comes naturally to the open source community and that is treating people who don't know the answer already with the deepest respect and so it proves that you know you don't have to be meritocratic tough guy to be of great value to the open source or the the open help community world um and on that note that's about all from us this week thank you to duck and mark um and if you like what you hear please rate and review our podcast you can also follow us on twitter and instagram we're at naked security and until next time stay, stay secure, secure.